0: Murray, out of the pocket, 7 seconds, 6 seconds, Murray heaves it downfield!
1: Ah! Andrew Gowdy and Chase Kitty here on High Motor by BetMGM. Coming up on the NFL Draft, we are talking on Sunday, April 18th, so we're what, 11 days out? Yeah, that opens on Thursday, April 29th, and we're going to follow, today on the show, we're going to follow up on a segment from last week's show regarding the draft, because That number 3 pick situation was always extremely interesting. As soon as the Niners made that trade, I think it was the last week of March, we've all been focused on that pick because we've always known they're taking a quarterback and they didn't trade up to take an offensive tackle to take a Jamar Chase. So that pick has always probably been the most interesting. I think we said that's truly where the draft starts. But it got even more interesting with some line movement really overnight last week. So we're going to circle back to that conversation close the show with six or seven minutes on that. To open the show, though, we have NFL win totals on BetMGM.com. Just navigate to BetMGM.com, click football on that left menu bar, NFL, and then navigate says NFL team special. So we're going to do a very early look at these win totals, how you may want to approach these numbers over the next, what, four, four and a half months. First, I want to start this conversation with a question for you. We've discussed win total strategy Quite a bit for all sports uh, in the past, mostly focusing on NFL, college football, baseball, a little bit of college basketball, I think. And this is something that you've had a lot of very, very selective success with. And since we're doing football for this conversation, I'm going to keep my question to only football, so we can kind of narrow the the lens on the calendar for this. What time of the year do you typically settle on a win total bet for football? Do you jump early like now? four, four and a half months ahead of time. Or do you wait until the summer hits and everyone is over analyzing rookie mini camps and workouts and everything like that in college football and
0: the NFL? When do you typically settle on a number? Typically July. I don't need I don't feel the need to like be out in front of the market. I don't that's not how I approach a lot of this. I would rather have in most cases, and maybe I can detail a couple cases where I I might feel otherwise, but generally speaking, I want to have all the information available to me before I lock in one or two win total bets for the year. So I want to know what their draft looked like, what kind of help they're going to be getting from their first and second year players. I want to know, did somebody tear their ACL playing basketball in the first week of June? Uh, I want to know, what the schedule looks like. I want to have all this information because that is key in the wrinkles and the, the margins that go into how many wins a team ends up getting to. So there are some examples here where that we're going to talk about, I think, where I might feel comfortable pulling the trigger right now because I think regardless of what happens over the next three or four months, the value is there now. And I don't need to wait, but most of the time, uh, and as you alluded to, I am pretty conservative in in how I bet these. I usually pick one or two that I like, and then that's kind of it. Most of the time, I'm waiting till July, waiting till early August. I know what the schedule looks like, and then I'm in.
1: Highest win totals for this season: Chiefs 12, the Bucks are 11 and a half, Packers and, Ra- Packers and Ravens are 11 apiece, Bills are at 10 and a half, and then three teams at 10. The Browns, the Niners, and the Rams. The lowest, Texans 4.5, Lions 5.5, Jets 6, and then 6.5 for the Eagles, Bengals, and Jaguars. I know that you kind of teased your air horn pick earlier to me before the show and we were talking about the Niners. And so we'll we'll save most of that conversation for 7 or 8 minutes from right now. But maybe this is just a general strategy question because, I mean, looking at the Niners' win total of 10, this is something we talked about with the AF, or excuse me, the NFC West. What was the context of that discussion? It Was right after the Super Bowl, and we were talking about the landscape of that division. What, what was the, what was the context of that conversation? Why did we was, what was the sign? Oh, it was JJ Walk going to the Cardinals, wasn't
0: it? Yeah, and, and we were looking yeah. at odds to win yeah. the NFC West. Um, right. so I. I Like you said, I'm going to save some of my San Francisco commentary for the air horn, but I I think if you're looking at this, uh, at the win total numbers for the NFC West kind of broadly, again, you have the last place team according to the odds. Arizona is the quote-unquote worst team in this division, and their win total is eight. Somebody is losing games in this division, guys. That's just math. So Arizona is one. I know that there's some volatility in Seattle, but Arizona is one I would look at maybe taking the under, depending on how the next few months go. I think Watts a great player. I think he's a good addition. I think you have to add him if you have the chance. But I and I know they have some some other additions as well, and, and I'm sure they're gonna add some guys to the draft. But I don't I, I think it's unlikely, not impossible, but unlikely that the fourth place team in this division is like eight and eight or nine and seven. That seems unlikely. There are questions about the coaching on this team. I think there are questions about just the the nature of trying to navigate through the NFC West that has really, really good teams at the top of it. So I would be leaning toward the under with Arizona.
1: The other side of that conversation being the math conversation of somebody has to lose some games. And I know this isn't like an apples-to-apples comparison, but very generally like a team has to win games in a division. Yes, there are exceptions. We saw that last year with the NFC East. Washington going 7 and 9, Giants and Cowboys 6 and 10, the Eagles 4 and they had a tie 4-11 and 1. I'm trying to look at the NFC East and trying to find some sort of value and I need to dig farther into this, but this morning I was looking at historically the cuz that was one of the worst divisions in NFL history. There's probably a strong argument it was the worst division in NFL history. With all, I think only the, wow, well, I think only Washington had a, po- a positive point differential. Yeah, I just pulled it up. They were the only team that had a positive point differential. So I'm trying to look at this from a historical perspective, and I need to go farther back into it. But over the last seven or eight years, in most cases, when it, a division is that bad, so going back to 2012 NFC East. 2016 NFC East, 2015 uh, excuse me, 2015 NFC East, 2014 NFC South, 2011 AFC West, 2010 NFC West, and some beyond that. In most cases, when we had a division winner that was eight and eight, nine and seven, and then a bunch of five win teams, six win teams, four win teams in that ballpark, in almost every case, the next year, one of those mediocre teams was phenomenal. Not that not that they just rose up to a you know a ten and six or eleven and five, but you go back to 2016, the Cowboys were great after a very mediocre year in that division. 2015 NFC South, that's when the Panthers rose up, 15 and one. 2012 AFC uh, West, the uh, Broncos were phenomenal. That was a little bit different with the personnel situation. I think they were 13 and three. 2011 NFC West, the 49ers were great after a shit year. 2005, even going back that far, the Seahawks were great. In almost all of these cases, there is a team that rises up, and not only does that happen, but the rest of the division stays mediocre. It's not like one of these teams pops up, goes 13-3, and three, then you have another team right behind 12-4, and 11-5. In almost all of these cases, and again, I don't want to like lean too heavily into this, and this is more something I want to dig into before I seriously consider which of these NFC East teams could pop up and if I even want to bank that much on one of, a, one of these teams doing that, but... In these cases, it's always one team that pops up and goes 13 and 3, even at 12 and 4, 4, 14 and 2 in that ballpark. And everybody else stays down. Everybody else stays 6 and 10, 7 and 9, 8 and 8. I don't know if I'm ready to, like I said, I don't know if I'm ready to pull the trigger on one of these, but looking quickly over history, I want to figure out if there's something there and if there's something that I can at least figure out from like a public perception standpoint of this division because they got so crapped on last year. Not necessarily finding which team is going to go 13-3 and three and betting on that because that is an extremely aggressive bet after everything we saw last year, saying that the Cowboys are going to go 13-3, and three, for example. But I'm going to go back over history and see if there's anything I can pull from there to say that one of these teams has a great chance because none of these teams have a win total higher than Eight, I think it was the so Washington. Dallas was, is at
0: nine.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, we're right. Dallas is at nine. Washington is at eight. The Giants are at seven. And then who am I missing? The Eagles are buried there. The Eagles are yeah six and a half. So I, I don't know if it's necessarily a bet that one of these teams is can go thirteen and three, but history says we have some exceptions like the AFC South for a couple years in a row was pretty bad with the division winner being around eight and eight, nine and seven. Even if you get up to a ten and six, but I'm very curious if there's anything there. Uh, to take from that. Any of these NFC East totals East totals interest you since they're all so
0: darn low? Well, I think I've already talked up the idea of betting on the Giants to win this division in 2021. So if you're already holding a Giants to win the NFC East ticket, I don't know that you need to double down by taking the over here. But I, I, I think on principle, because I like the other one, I, I like Giants over seven wins here. I think the if you really want to put any sort of position uh, into this division, I think it's Redskins or um, they're not the Redskins anymore. I think it's Washington football team under eight. Uh, And and the reason why, first of all, there's like, there's a quiet amount of hype. I don't think there's a lot, but they add Fitzpatrick. It's like a Washington won the off season hype. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like, hey, you know who, who could be sneaky good next year? Like it's, it's that kind of thing. And I think that could be true in terms of where the team is relative to last year. But you have to consider all of the logistics and how the NFL works. When you win a division and go to the playoffs, you have a much harder schedule the next year. That's just how the NFL, the NFL works, generally speaking. And Washington didn't win eight games last year. So the idea that they're going to play a harder schedule this year and have a better record putting aside all of the luck factors and the bounces of the ball and all that, I just don't see that happening. That seems unlikely. So I do think that Washington could be an improved football team, but that doesn't necessarily mean they'll have an improved record. So I would lean under eight for Washington.
1: What else is catching your eye here in these win totals?
0: I don't think people realize how bad Houston is. Yeah. I the roster is bad. The Watson stuff, obviously, nobody knows how that's going to turn out, not great. They have a head coach who is not an NFL head coach. Like the it, it is very much a Cleveland Browns 2019 situation. Like and hopefully they get their Stefanski on the other side of this, but this is gonna be a bad team next year. They won four games in 2020. Half of them were against Jacksonville. I don't think Jacksonville's gonna be an easy win this year. Like I, I think they they could be a much tougher out. So the idea that they're supposed to have a better record in 2021, Houston, because they were four and twelve last year and their win total now is four and a half. This is probably gonna be the worst team in the NFL next year. I, I I'm I'm going under. I mean it's bad, it's really bad there.
1: Yeah, and I think staying in the NFC South there, this plays well into my next point, is that I think there's money to be made, yes, on that side, but there's also money to be made at the top of the division, I think with either the Colts or the Titans. I don't know which one yet, I think I'm in the same place as you, like, let's wait until July to see how this all shakes out, there's still a lot of free agents out there that haven't signed, so we'll see where teams land after the draft, but I'm inclined to do more digging and jump on one of these numbers with the Colts or the Titans. The Titans right now are at nine. The Colts right now, excuse me, are at nine and a half. One of those teams is winning ten games. I'm I'm pretty certain of that, especially with how bad the Texans are going to be. Even if you think the Jaguars, I mean, they're not going to go one and fifteen again. Even if you think the Jaguars are going to bump up to five and eleven, there are wins to be had in this division. And with how bad the Texans are. I mean, you talk about a team that I just looked it up. They scored 384 points, and that was with Deshaun Watson. Obviously, they had some supporting cast issues, but that ranked tied for 11th in the AFC. So even with Deshaun Watson, even with some decent skill players, even with a system that we can all criticize Bill O'Brien's personnel moves, but generally this was an offense that moved the football and scored points over his tenure. He's now gone. I, I just don't see where... Houston is going to get wins in this division, like you said, which means that somebody is going to get all of those wins. Even if you take away a couple from the Texans, maybe give three or four more to the Jaguars. Unless we're just seeing parity at the top, and like both the Titans and Tex- Titans and Colts somehow go nine and seven, I, I just can't see that. There's got to be one of these two teams. I don't know if they're one of the three best teams in the AFC. I don't know if either team necessarily got better this offseason, but specifically with the Colts, I think there's a perception. I'm not even a big Carson Wentz fan, but I think that there's a perception that Carson Wentz is a shit quarterback who can't really be revived. And I almost wonder if that can play into our advantage by saying the Colts are going to win 10 games this year. Again, their total 9.5, the over on that, I think it was plus 105, the under minus 125. There are wins to be had in this division. I just don't know where it's at yet.
0: I would agree with you that the Colts are the team. I would stay away from Tennessee. In fact, I, I kind of like a small lean on the on the Titans under here. I think, look, I, I, I think it would be hard to have a defense as bad as their defense was last year. So I, I feel like the only direction you can go is up with where that unit was. But the offense is definitely not going to be as good with Arthur Smith going to Atlanta. So I feel like this is a negative regression candidate given all of the factors. Uh, I, I would say like 8-8, eight and 7-9. Eight, and nine, That's kind of what you're looking at. Uh, I think Arthur Smith is a really, really talented offensive mind and losing him, I mean, there will be regression. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I've got a couple more I can give you. Miami. I think that the hype has inflated this number. They are in a division... Sure, you got the Jets. I think they're going to be improved, but they're still probably the Jets. That roster is still probably two years away from being a good. I forget about playoffs. I, I mean, like just like a quality team. Like it seems not a to be a
1: misconception team. about the Jets because they're like they're finally making sensible personnel moves, but that doesn't mean like you're suddenly going to become a ten win team.
0: Right. I, I think uh, you have to have good coaching and a good roster and. They, I mean, I'll wait and see on the coaching. I, it's not a good roster. So fine, maybe you get two wins off the Jets, but you still got to coach against Belichick and Buffalo. Those are your other two divisional teams. And I think just a general rule for me is go against hype. And Miami at nine, like that's a pretty high number when you're talking about win totals. The Dolphins would have to go ten and six. For you to go over on this, you only need him to go eight and eight for the under to cash. I would be leaning toward the under there if you're looking to play it at all. What's oh, the other one? Wait, you I'm said sorry. You a couple. Yeah, I got one more for you, and I actually want to talk about Tampa. I, I probably wish I would have brought them up uh, earlier. So I, I was just interested. I saw Tampa at 11 and a half, and thought, man, I know that I know they won the Super Bowl. I know you got to set a high number because that's just what the marketplace is going to demand. People like to slam the over on Super Bowl winners. But an 11.5 seems odd. So I wanted some context. I went back and looked at the last 10 Super Bowl winners. How many, Andrew Doughty, how many of the last 10 Super Bowl winners followed up that season by going 12-4 and four or better?
1: I'm trying to think which ones it would be. Two? Patriots did it once and then the Seahawks did it?
0: six of the last 10, 12 and four. What? Yeah, I know. I was surprised too. I probably would have said the same thing you did.
1: I think because you always hear that stat, the Super Bowl loser misses the playoffs X number of years. So I naturally, I was kind of going in that direction.
0: Absolutely. That's, that's what I thought too. I went into it with the, like almost looking for confirmation bias. Like, yeah, I feel like I know what I'm going to find. Let's go find it. And I was surprised that Kansas city, the, uh, 14-2 14-2 last year, you know, so... And you can go back past that. The Patriots did it more than once. And some of that may be a little unfair because you have the Patriots winning multiple Super Bowls. They're an institution, so they account for more than one of those six of the last ten. Uh, but you do have other teams that, that got in there and had good records coming, af- coming off of a Super Bowl. So, I thought at first... Kind of like I said with Washington. I don't, Tampa, they weren't as good in the regular season as they were in the playoffs. They're going to have a tougher schedule this year, I would think. Like, I, I don't know. Leaning toward the under. I actually think this is a stay away from me now. Just because there's too many unknowns. Maybe the roster comes right out of the gate and is really good this year. Maybe it's a more winnable division. I think the bottom is better, but I think the top probably regresses a little bit. So... I'm just staying away. From you texted me on Friday at
1: 7.24 a.m. my time and said, Hey, do you have a fire extinguisher in your apartment? Well, you might want to get one because the air horn is absolutely on fire. Woo!
0: Where are we going with the Niners today? Um, I like the 49ers over for the win total here. This is a team that went 6-10 last year. Last place in the division. Huge injury problems. They still went 3-3 three three against the other NFC West teams. So, you've got to think. Much healthier team. I know people are down on Garoppolo. I know everybody knows they're going to draft a quarterback in the number three spot. Garoppolo's still the quarterback this year, guys. Like He's still probably going to play quarterback in the 2021 football season. And you know, another thing about Garoppolo, he was like 12 minutes away from winning a Super Bowl. So I think, I think it's fair to question how good he is. I think the hate needs to dial it back just a little bit. Cause he's still f- like fine. He's still good. He's maybe just not the second coming of Tom Brady. Like some people proclaimed him to be anyway, looking at San Francisco, can they get to 10 wins? Should they be handicapped the same as the Rams? Because they're both sitting at 10 wins here for the season win total props. I think yes. I think absolutely. This is an over for me. When they get healthy, the advantages that they seem to have against that Rams roster and that Rams coaching staff. Regression by Seattle. Arizona, I think, is beatable. Uh, And then you're playing an easier schedule Last year, they had to play a conference winner schedule, I believe, because they won that conference uh, when they went to the Super Bowl. Now they're going to have an easier schedule, better injury luck. This isn't over for me. This is easy. I, they are absolutely, I think, in my opinion, going to hit this number. 10-6, and 11-5, 12-4. That's what I'm looking for for the Niners this year. It's a very good roster top to bottom. They have great coaching. They've got a great front office. And I think this is one of the best bets on the board right now.
1: Does that mean you're taking the Rams then at over 10? Because you, I mean, you're pretty high on the Rams this year. That's something we also talked about after the Stafford golf deal. And then when we were kind of like re-ranking these four teams going into the season, I think you had the Rams one, but correct me if I'm wrong on that. Does that mean you're also taking the Rams at 10 based on
0: that same logic? I'm thinking about it, but thats it's almost like negative diversification. Like the odds that two different teams teams in the same division go over 10 wins seems unlikely. So for me, even though I liked the Stafford trade and I thought the Rams got better, it feels like you have to pick one of these teams if you're going to play the over on the win totals. And for me, I just think San Francisco is the better play because of all the reasons I just listed, right? The injury positive regression, the coaching, the front office, the the head-to-head advantages. I think San Francisco is the better horse to back, even though I think L.A. did things to improve themselves as well.
1: On Thursday episode, we spent a lot of time talking about Trey Lance and that number three pick situation. Like I said, it's been extremely interesting ever since the Niners made that deal the last week of March. But now as we get closer to the draft, uh, it's even more interesting because of that overnight line movement. On Wednesday night when we were talking Mac Jones is at minus 250 for that pick at number three. Justin Fields is at plus 200. Trey Lance at plus 450. We spent a good 15, 20 minutes maybe talking about the value of Trey Lance at that pick. Not even accounting for what type of fit he might be um, or really anything else because we just like the value given that nobody knows who they're picking here. But then by Thursday night... Justin Fields jumps to minus 140. So you're talking about a 340 swing on him. Mac Jones is down to plus 110. So that's a 360 swing on him. And then Trey Lance stays at plus 450. And that was sharp money moving those lines. Uh, Darren Darby, the BetMGM sports trader, came out and said that. So we're not guessing what moved it for BetMGM. You had some speculation that maybe when Warren Sharp went on the Bill Simmons podcast, he was talking about Uh, that Mac Jones just isn't going to be the fit here for the Niners. Uh, There were also some comments from Albert Breer about Justin Fields' pro day and working with different receivers because of NCAA rules and how he thinks maybe reading tea leaves that that could be something for the Niners that they wanted to see kind of his leadership with receivers given Shanahan's work with receivers. So we can guess maybe if the public hopped on Justin Fields based on stuff like that, but we do know that it was... Sharp money that ultimately moved those lines. The Trey Lance piece of this, this worries me, you know, based on the strategy that we talked about and the approach of taking Trey Lance for that value at 450. The fact that he hasn't moved doesn't worry me that much, but if we're seeing that big of a swing above him, I don't know if Trey Lance still carries that value, even though nobody has, I mean, nobody has come out. Adam Schefter hasn't come out with anything saying that Justin Fields could be this pick. I mean, Daniel Jeremiah hasn't come up. We still don't know who this pick is going to be. It's only that the sharp money has come in, and we've seen some very vague comments and reading between the lines of other things that have moved this. But now at 450 with Trey Lance, I'm not sure if I see that value anymore. Are you on the same page as I am? Uh, No.
0: So if if you're having a conversation about value, then no, I'm not. If you're having a conversation about whether or not you would want to be holding a Trey Lance ticket, then yes. And I make the distinguish uh, I distinguish between those points because you know when you're talking about gambling, sometimes it can get a little esoteric. And we were talking about the theoretical value behind Trey Lance at plus four fifty. We've got Mac Jones, we've got Justin Fields, we've got Trey Lance. We think any of those three guys could go at number three to San Francisco. So given that, Trey Lance probably had, when we had the conversation, the most theoretical value because it could be any of those guys, but his payout was substantially greater. We knew that there was information out there that we didn't have. It was a known unknown. So coming in on Lance had value then. I think it still probably has value now. The difference is we now have a little bit more information. There's been some reporting about Fields versus Jones. I actually think, and this is not something I say super often, I thought Colin Cowherd did a really good segment on Friday about how Mac Jones to to San Francisco is kind of silly. Um, And and Cowherd, if you don't know how he works, because maybe you're not a radio expert, Colin goes and talks to people that are smarter than he is and knows more than he does. And then he comes and like reformulates that information into a segment. And he's very, very good at it. If it sounded like a knock, it is not a knock at all. He's very good at that. So when he comes out and does a segment on why Mac Jones going to San Francisco is dumb at three, that's because somebody else who has more information than he does has told him hey, this isn't very smart, and let me explain to you why. So Do you that, remember what day of the week that was? That was Friday. Was that? It was it was this past Friday. So, so it was
1: after ago. the numbers had moved.
0: Correct. And it yeah. was after other people had come out and said, yeah, I don't know about this whole Mac Jones thing. So that was kind of reinforcing this idea that was already out there in the air supply. Uh, so would I want to make this Trey Lance bet today, knowing all of the things that have happened since the last time we did this episode? Probably not. But that doesn't mean there isn't still a lot of value on Lance at that three spot. And if you're following the strategy that we kind of backed into there at the end of the episode of, hey, let's take Lance plus 450 at three and then yeah. sort of play against that and guarantee ourselves some money by taking the what the over on his uh, draft Six position. Six and a here. half, yeah. yeah. Then I think you're still in great position because unless – You know, there was some mock draft, they got some, it was dumb, they got some attention about, like, Belichick trades up to four and then drafts Trey Lance. Like, unless something crazy like that happens, you still have positive ROI potential holding both sides of that equation.
1: There was a breakdown, so right after these odds changed, uh, breakdown of tickets in hand, this is a couple of days old now, this is as of Friday morning, so we're talking on Sunday morning, but I can't imagine these have shifted dramatically given that most of the money is probably in on the draft already. For the number three pick, Justin Fields was getting 55% of the tickets, 43% of the handle. Mac Jones, 20% of tickets, 53% of the handle. Trey Lance, only 11% of the tickets, only 2% uh, 2.8% of the handle, and then Kyle Pitts and Zach Wilson were getting some. I'm guessing all that, or most of that Kyle Pitts and Zach Wilson money uh, came in well before there were the reports that the jets love Zach Wilson at 2 and that seems like a foregone conclusion and probably before the niners uh traded up. Does that breakdown like matter to you at all? The fact that Trey Lance is getting for example 11% of the tickets but only 2% of the handle. I mean I know that we're seeing sharp money here. Maybe we'll see the handle even bump up more than the tickets for Justin Fields. So it's not surprising based on what we know this was sharp money, but like that I know you said you you maybe wouldn't take Lance at 450. But seeing those splits of 11% of the tickets but only 3% of the handle roughly, does that do anything for you with this bet?
0: Mm, I think it supports where I'm already at, which is this is not a ticket that I would want to personally hold unless I was unless I was playing it off another bet like we talked about. Uh, but I still would argue that there is value on Lance because it still could definitely be any of these three guys, and he has by far the best return.
1: That number hasn't moved for Trey Lance over under 6.5, minus 125 on the over 6.5, plus 100 on the under 6.5. Justin Fields, by the way, over 4.5 is plus 170, under 4.5, minus 225. We will be back on Thursday on High Motor by BetMGM. If you have any mailbag questions, draft stuff, odd stuff, future stuff, we'll get way more NFL win totals over the next four, four and a half months, probably multiple times. Uh, over that period, talking strategy and actual peer numbers once we've gotten after the draft, and like you said, getting into that uh, July time frame. So, if you have any questions about that or anything else, at High Motor Pod on Twitter. Any specific betting questions, at A Kitty on Twitter. Thank you for dropping by. Thank you for listening to High Motor by BetMGM. I saw a friend today, it had been a while, and we forgot each other's name. But it didn't matter cause deep inside, the feelings still remain the same.
0: We talked of knowing one before you met, and how you feel more than you see, and other worlds that lie in spaces.